Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Real As Yates podcast. We are your hosts, Taylor Yates and Paige Yates. And in this podcast, we share with you everything we know about real estate, greater Boston, and life. And in case you're wondering, yes, we are in fact related. We are a top producing mother-son real estate agent team where we lead, surprise, the Yates team. So Taylor, tell me how you did over the holidays with turkey frying. Yeah. (laughs) So for those of you who do not know, I love a fried turkey, a deep fried turkey. I love frying it and brining it and seasoning it. This is like my thing that I love to do over the holidays. So it went great as usual. One of the things you should also know if you're interested in doing this is probably the real trick to turkey frying is fire safety. (laughs) There's a whole genre on YouTube of jabronis just like creating a fireball, hopefully not on their house. But I take that pretty seriously and because I want a delicious turkey, not a um, hunk of charcoal. But you know that for me, I go, I love doing turkey the same way I love doing real estate in that I really like to master the craft and like do everything that I can do to make this go really well. So it starts with brining. You know, you can get really good brine recipes and you can put this turkey in this basically a giant Ziploc bag called a brine bag. And you let that sit for maybe 24, maybe even like 48 hours to really soak in some of those flavors from herbs and spices and salt and sugar. The next thing that I do is butter. Butter makes everything better. (laughs) A heart attack on its way. Yeah, a heart attack on its way. So I literally take a syringe and I inject it into the turkey breast and inject a whole stick of butter into this thing. And then once it's good and ready and it's buttered and it's brined, you know, you throw this turkey fryer. And the thing that I really love about it is it takes like three minutes a pound, right? So, you know, no more like delaying dinner for two hours because the turkey's not cooking fast enough. You know, you basically put it in. You put on an episode of your favorite show on Netflix, and by the time the show's over, your turkey's done, and you're back inside eating. And it is delicious. We all agree that it is well worth your effort for the holidays, that we each get to celebrate eating this delicious turkey. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm glad you guys like it, because I like doing it. So if you guys didn't like it, I might still do it. (laughs) 100% you've mastered the craft between YouTube videos, sitting outside with your umbrella, observing it, brining it. You've taken it to all different levels, for sure. Oh, yeah. The umbrella, by the way, the story behind that gets back to this fire safety thing. So some people on a bad weather day say, oh, it's raining. I don't want to fry the turkey outside in the cold and rain. So I'm going to do it in my garage. That is a big no-no. Just don't even fry the turkey if the only thing you're willing to do is frying it in your garage. So what I did is I stood outside on like a 34-degree pouring raining Thanksgiving because I wanted that fried turkey and I didn't want to burn anything down. There you go. (laughs) Well done. All right. So this week, we're going to be talking about prepping your home for sale, updating the hidden gems. So let's talk about what these hidden gems are, right? There's obviously these like showcase rooms, the kitchen, the primary suite, right? The primary bath, primary bathroom, maybe like your family room or great room. There's those showstop rooms, but there are also all these nooks and crannies that are also a big part of your house. And if you invest in them, you can really stand out in a way that other houses might not. So maybe we'll start talking about what some of these are. So basements and attics, right? A lot of 
homes have basements or attics that are underutilized. How can a homeowner transform these spaces to add value to their property? And what are some creative renovations you've seen in these areas? So it's a hard thing because basements go from new construction gourmet because mm-hmm. everything about it is high ceilings, open space ready to be finished to homes that fall into the 1920s, 1910s where the basements were built on fieldstone. Yeah. So a lot of people wanted to finish a basement because we live in a climate where the winter is long. Mm-hmm. And people who might have children might need an extra space versus the family room or a living room. So they wanted to have areas that adults can go to and kids can go to and kids and their friends. Mm-hmm. So certainly the one that I see that's most utilized is the basements. It can be a pretty simple basement to a very gourmet basement where the basement is finished with wine cellar and a media room, another playroom, a bar area. So Mm -hmm. those are wonderful if new construction is built like that. That's kind of the look that you'll see in new construction. Mm -hmm. For the mere mortals of the homeowners where you might have an older house and you might want to fix up spaces, I think fixing up your basement can add value because it does create more square footage. And there are lots of ways to do it. You can get, I've said to people that, you know, sometimes your local firemen have secondary jobs and are willing to help you kind of fix up a basement. Oh, that's a hot tip. Yeah. So it's a good resource because most of the firemen, anyway, it's a good place to ask Mm -hmm. and start. And you can do it kind of simply. You can put carpet down. You can, in older houses, throw up kind of not fancy walls, but kind of sheathing and then foam and then kind of put up sheetrock and do kind of a primitive area and throw a carpet in from, you can do a Home Depot or you can go to a carpet store. And sometimes basements are warm because they're below grade. And so you don't have to put a new furnace to get that area usable. You can either come off of it with, if you've got a hot water system, you can add Mm -hmm. or The great thing is we now have splits. So you can put a split in an area that you might not have used in your basement before, and it can create heat. Yeah. Or if you're like in my basement, the furnace itself throws off enough heat to keep that space warm in the winter. Correct. So I think if you're going to try to add value to your home and create additional living space, I think going to your basement is a great use of kind of underutilized space. Yeah, I agree. The thing I would add about basements too is think really hard about water management and be sure that you kind of understand, like, does your basement have water coming in? If so, where? And can you fix it? And certainly, you know, throwing down a dehumidifier because this is a humid part of the country, right? And so if you put that dehumidifier down there, you're going to get ahead of problems like mold or rot or even like termites, moisture. Yeah, all the terrible things that water can do can be solved at least in part, by a dehumidifier. A little trick to know about, which I did not know, but I do have an old house, is that there is boat paint that you can use to seal the field stone so it doesn't bleed like it normally does. Mm -hmm. You can actually buy a, a boat paint. It is quite expensive, but it does seal kind of a field stone basement that 
currently be weeping. So it's a good little trick of the trade to at least start with that if you can before finishing off space. Yeah. By the way, if you are from a different part of the country or have had newer homes, what a fieldstone basement is, is back in the day in New England, our soil is so rocky that when you cleared land for farming or dug a hole for a foundation, you ended up with this giant pile of really big rocks. And so they took those and they started making foundations and stone walls out of them. What you'll see if you're in those basements is that sometimes they do this thing called weeping. So it just looks like a little bit, there's like a sheen of water on it. They're not failing. That's just how they are. But like Paige said, you know, if you want to do some upgrades like boat paint, that will help you keep that basement dry. And you have to understand that those rocks are porous, right? So if there's water outside, it's going to ultimately come through the rock. Mm -hmm. But many people who finish off their basements have fieldstone basements, and they have used the trick of at least sealing them, Mm -hmm. which gives them a little bit of a head start with potential water problems. Right. Let's talk about some other spaces you see around here, especially in older homes, like these small spaces and nooks. So what advice do you have for homeowners with seemingly like, quote unquote, useless small spaces or nooks in their home? And how can you maximize these areas? So, you know, the one I have in mind is those old pantries, right? Those old like walk through pantries. You see them a lot in Cambridge. You see them in Somerville. You see them in these old Victorians. It was used by a servant to store utensils, foodstuffs, and it was not designed to be like a usable space. But they're often right next to those kitchens, which makes it hard to open up that kitchen. They also are often like pretty well crafted. They have some beautiful carpentry in there. So what would you do with a space like that? I think some of it depends upon the flow of the house. But I think the ones you're talking about are the pantries that ended up between the kitchen and more of a formal dining room. Yeah. You had this beautiful old wood in many of them and glass cabinets, and some of those are nice. I think there are two kind of ways to approach it. One is you embrace the age, and you clean it up, and you use it for storage. In other words, fancy glasses, nice plates, whatever you might use for the holidays between the kitchen and getting it to the dining room, those things that are actually probably all got for wedding presents and then all of a sudden you haven't never used them, but they're great for storage of those. And then I think the second approach is you get rid of the old and make it a much more practical space. There are people that have put wine coolers in there or they've rebuilt the cabinetry all the way up and then they have lots more storage Mm -hmm. for things that kind of overflow from the kitchen. But they use it more as a transition space. And I think you just have to decide whether you want to embrace the old and work with that or you go, this isn't working for me. I've got to make it more modern. I want a wet bar. I want a wine cooler. This is just not going to work in its current state. Some of these spaces can be so weird that what you really have to do is commit. What are you going to do to the space and maximize that? Don't try and like split the difference and say, hey, maybe it's a desk, and then it's also some extra storage. That's too much to ask of these funky rooms. Any other rooms that like you've seen? Because I know out in Metro West, we've got a lot of Victorians that have these old funky spaces. So I think the space that pops to mind for me are a lot of times the old 
linen areas mm-hmm. where you've got great storage, but they tended to be kind of narrow. I oftentimes find that they become great areas for a linen closet. Mm-hmm. Maybe you take advantage of the built-ins. I also think that there are areas that are kind of nooks and crannies that maybe fall underneath a staircase. And I highly, highly, highly recommend there are lots of clever ideas on Pinterest and places like that on the internet or Etsy that people that create interesting ideas for those spaces. If you have a great contractor, you can do more built-ins or you can do more storage. Oftentimes, older homes don't have mudrooms per se. So you're always looking for space for things like boots and mittens and hats. So like in your house where you actually had to build in a closet because you came in your front door and you didn't have a coat closet. Right, right. Because that's how 1920s houses were earlier. 1930s. 30s, 30s, sorry. (laughs) But the point being is older homes did not address the multiple coats that we have currently and the change in weather conditions and people having what they do with boots and shoes, et cetera. But I also think that if you, like I've had a contractor that I've worked with for a long time. He's actually a cabinet maker and he's built window seats for me beside a fireplace where there was just windows and I had him build storage on either side. And in that storage, I've put wood for the fireplace. So there are spaces that if you find a builder that you can work with, or even if you're on a budget, Mm -hmm. places like Ikea, Container Store, House, Mm -hmm. H-O-U-Z-Z on the internet, has all kinds of ideas and kind of pre-made things that might fit into an area. So I think there are lots of ways to take advantage of underutilized space. Yeah, I agree. Now, since we've been talking a lot about this very New England problem of a lot of these houses are older, why don't we talk about preservation versus modernization? So some areas of an older home might be considered a hidden gem because of their historical or like unique architectural features. How can a homeowner strike a balance between preserving the charm of these spaces while updating them to meet some modern needs? I can start on this. I think one of the best features of these older homes is the carpentry, the finishing carpentry. Because newer homes, they just don't really do it. Everything's done by machines. They're trying to like save some costs where they can. The market doesn't necessarily reward really great finishing carpentry. You're comparing historic millwork with current millwork. And I think that's, if you love historic millwork, you tend to see it come out in staircases Mm -hmm, and bookshelves and dining rooms that have corner cupboards built in or, you know, even storage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, you see them a lot around here. I see them on a few places that I think are pretty cool. So obviously um, around the perimeter of a room, right around the ceiling, those crown moldings. Now we kind of have a shape that you just get. But back in the day, that was where people really invested a lot of detailed carpentry and you got maybe like crenellations or even floral patterns. The second place I see it a lot that I really like is around a light fixture, a ceiling light fixture. You get these like bursts of floral patterns, which are not overwhelming, but they add a little bit of interest to the room. And then the last one that I really like, which you mentioned, is staircases. And I've actually seen some really good new construction where they recovered 
old staircase pieces and made just like an absolutely killer looking, like show stopping staircase banister look. And there are people that choose to use reclaimed property mm-hmm. in newer homes today. I've seen that with whether it's wood or in walls, staircases. But I think the basic question was modernization versus keeping the older historic value comes down to the buyer. Like we were talking about with the pantry between the kitchen and the dining room, some buyers just don't see that as an asset. You have to love the historic items in a house to want to keep them. And if you don't want to keep them, it may not be the right house for you. Or, in fact, you take a house that on the outside looks older Mm -hmm. with a lot of charm and you kind of modernize and gut it and you've got a modern house inside and an older looking home outside. Yeah. And that's important when you're prepping your home for sale in terms of where do you choose to invest your updating dollars, right? Do you want to invest in you know, maybe painting that crown molding or maybe doing something with that pantry space or not. Or you're just going to say, hey, someone's probably going to take this out. So no point in investing in it. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to do the mailbag. Did you know that Paige and I aren't just your favorite real estate podcast hosts? We're also pretty darn good at our day jobs. With over 30 years experience and over $1 billion sold in greater Boston, We are real estate agents that you can trust. If you're buying or selling a home, reach out to us at contact at yatesboston.com today. All right, you ready for the uh, real estate joke of the week? Sure. What do you (laughs) call a detective who is also a real estate agent? (laughs) That's a good one. (laughs) Sherlock Holmes. Oh, you got it. (laughs) Good job. Yeah, Sherlock Holmes. (laughs) All right. So mailbag, I love my washer dryer. Should I take them or leave them? Absolutely not. You should not take them. Hit me. Why? So a couple things. The cost of moving washer and dryers is so much more expensive than you think. People oftentimes when they move, the move is based on weight. Mm -hmm. So you think your five-year-old washer and dryer merit taking with you because you love them. But usually they fit the space that they're in perfectly. Mm -hmm. They are replaceable. You've got to get in a plumber and disconnect all the water and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Some of the states people move to, they are automatically left. And some, they are not left behind. In Massachusetts, it's a 50-50 decision. Most times people want to exclude them. And then they say, well, I'll sell them to the buyer for some form of money. Right, right. I just think it's like a kitchen refrigerator, that and the washer dryer just stay put. Mm -hmm. They fit their spaces. And you can go out to many local companies now, whether it's Home Depot, Yale Appliance, Jarvis, Mm -hmm. all those places you can duplicate your washer and dryer for a cost that does not make sense to take it. I think it's funny. I think a lot of people, especially a lot of people who are first-time home sellers, want to take it with them because washer dryers are at that price point where it's really the first appliance you buy for yourself. So you got one, you fall in love with it, it changes your laundry life, and you don't want to let it go. But, you know, you probably should, right? It's probably not worth keeping. And the price for washer and dryers 
has changed, right? It used to be a big investment, right? Mm -hmm. So people would go, like you said, it's the first big appliance that you buy. Mm -hmm. I think now the cost to move and the cost of the appliances get to be much tighter than you think. All right. Well, thanks so much for that awesome question. If you are a curious cat and you would like your question to be answered, you can just send us an email at contact at yatesboston.com or slide into our DMs at Yates Team Boston. That's it for this week. Be sure to tune in next week wherever you find your podcasts, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Pandora. And if you enjoyed this, be sure to like, subscribe, and give us that five-star review. You can also find us on Instagram and YouTube at Yates Team Boston or on the web at yatesboston.com. <laughs>